Uh, yeah, man, it's November 6th. It is uh, voting day. Voting day. You know, it's uh, it's kind of sad, <laughs> the state of our country and our politics. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I've been stoked that we've been kind of like staying out of that in our podcast for the most part. You know, we'll talk about issues, but it's not like from like one side toward another. Yeah. It's like when we come into this studio, into what we've been now calling the interrogation room. <laughs> or, or the interview room, either yeah, one. Yeah, one of them. We're going to, we'll come up with a, a real name here shortly, but <laughs> um, there is no agenda. There is no, I'm trying to win a debate for this side. We're not even coming from a side. We're just coming from the side of like curiosity mm-hmm. about the person. Yeah. You know, I was at the gym the other day and- I, I thought I, I was going to say you're looking a little better. <laughs> it's just the hair, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was at the gym the other day and I, I picked out this. I usually pick out the elliptical that is facing a wall. And so then I can watch something completely innocuous like um, like House Hunters or, you know, some bullshit like that, which is, you know, it, it's whatever. And then to the right is... Fox News, and then right next to Fox News is CNN. And it is so discouraging watching those side by side because they are one in the same and they are... What do you mean they're one in the same? They, they're they doing the exact same thing to society on either fringe of, uh, of a political spectrum. Yeah. And, it, it, it's, and it's absolutely terrible. You know, you have you have the talking heads sitting there, and they're feeding you these these sound talking bites points. and this yeah. this line of bullshit just to get you angry. I mean, that's the whole point of that form of news is to make you mad. I and know. I'm sitting there watching and that's, it. And the politicians, that's how they're getting votes, is by like trying to make you angry. Yeah, it's like we're all tired of being angry. Uh, well, some people aren't. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty tired. I feel like, um, you know, I told you earlier, and I've, I've been thinking about this all day since I voted, and, you know, I had the little booklet, and I went through all the candidates, and I'm reading all about them last night, and I'm highlighting stuff, and I'm getting ready, and this morning I fold up the book, put it in my back pocket, and I go to uh, the church that, that I'm scheduled Your to- Your polling place. Yeah. yeah, my polling place, to vote, and I'm sitting in there- and I'm just becoming more and more discouraged. I have my book open and I'm going side by side. Like, okay, here's here's this person. Here's this judge. Here's this, you know, here's this candidate. And I'm, and I'm like, they all suck. And instead of feeling like an exercise in democracy, it felt like an exercise in defeat. And I, I, I put my, my ballot, you know, in a little fucking hole and these these nice old women, they're like, oh, would you like a sticker? And my my initial reaction was, no, thank you. And I just because that would that would have been a badge of what I had. That's a manifestation of what I was thinking in that polling booth. Yeah, like you. Yeah, it's just like um, it's kind of going back to like what I was saying earlier. Like we're we're just getting sick and tired of this shit. And then you go and you you look at that booklet and all these candidates and what they're about, and they just represent. This old model, mm-hmm. this you know, it's it's not connecting with us. It's we're tired of the hate. We're tired of the pointing fingers. We're tired of the uh, sensational language. You know, a war on crime. Yeah, I, I forget who who said that, but they, like, we're gonna wage war on criminals. It's like, 
what, what kind of militant language is and, that? And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, I'm more interested in like, what's your policy? Yeah. You know, because they, a lot of these people use these strong languages or strong language, mm-hmm. but they don't really tell you what they're going to do. Yeah. They just, they just like, um, appeal to your emotions and, and appeal to like what they know you want to hear. But it's like, where's the substance? It's all just pretty discouraging. Yeah. So that's what was nice about this podcast that we're about to get into is we got to talk to a comedian. Yeah, exactly. And, and not, not, we didn't really get into the bullshit of politics at all, right? And I have no idea where, what side of the aisle he sits on, and I don't even care. Yeah. Okay, so the way we found, and his name is Richard Bowen, and how we found, how we found him is through Jason Borgstead, the owner of Blue and Gold Board Shop, right? And so Borgstead calls me and goes, hey, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I don't know, man. I'm kind of, I think I was like editing a podcast or something. <laughs> he's like, you want to go watch some stand-up? This guy uh, came in to the because uh, he's a skater, and he came in, and he's going to do an open mic, and he's really cool, man, and you guys should interview him for the podcast. And I'm like, well, let me go meet him, and let me go hear him, right? And um, it was actually pretty funny, you know? And then I talked to him afterwards, and it was cool, and I was like, yeah, we should, you know? Because the, the he was he was back in Alaska because... He had like his own like he had made his own tour to do stand up comedy in all fifty states, and Alaska was his last state, and so he he capped off his tour. You know, one thing that I found really interesting about Richard is that he used comedy or stand up specifically as a means to overcome his depression, and what he found was that. He does have a depressive behavior, and he found that being on that stage and making people laugh helps him overcome that depression. And so what he decided to do was pursue comedy, which I was like, that's that's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. You know, what I thought was cool about this one is that it was a suggestion by somebody, and we were able to make it happen, whether it was just reserving the studio time whether it was finding our own time instead of, you know, planning it like a week out, right? And I think that that is something that we have both talked about wanting to do more and more often. And in order to do that more and more often, we need to have more time, right? Time and Skrilla. Time and Skrilla, exactly. So we'd like to ask everyone to check out our Patreon page, please. Just just check it out. See what we're trying to do. You, you've heard what we're trying to do, but you can get a, a visual representation of what we're trying to do by going to the Patreon page. And, and how you can be a part of this and really help push this forward. Because, I mean, if we, can, if we can start pulling in a team to help us produce these things, we could be really talking to a lot of different Alaskans multiple times a week and putting these out there. And, I mean, we've, I don't know, should we tell them about the, the new plan, the, uh, the new Oh, the series? Yeah, do you want do you want to bust that out yet or no? Um, so if we are able to to have more time to spend on these podcasts, what we'd like to do is we would like to start creating a a short series that will basically mimic the themed issues of the the magazine that that crude started out as. Yeah, exactly. And and basically what that means is we've got a lot of cool ideas of different ways we can tell Alaska's story through audio because we've been learning a lot in these 2 months and what we've seen is our like um you don't call it a viewership, do you call it a listenership? Yeah, you like call the, it you'd call it a readership if it was print. 
And you um, it. Yeah, listenership. I think we could do that. All right. Our listenership has just been growing and growing each week. I mean, it's pretty cool to go in there and watch the analytics and see. So, And there's people all over the world tuning in, actually. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the majority are Alaskans. We've got California, Washington, Nevada, um, the East Coast, you know. So mm-hmm. there are people that are starting to tune in. And that's exciting. So we know that people are getting stoked on this podcast. We're, we feel like we're getting better as interviewers, and we've got some pretty cool ideas of things we can go forward, but we're going to need some people to kind of go check out this Patreon and kind of putting their support behind it. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash crude magazine. Yeah. So before we drop into this interview, we have to always thank our company men, Trina Duber, and Seward Brewing Company. Yeah, they're coming in at that top tier on Patreon and really uh, helping us push this thing forward. So once again, guys, Trina Duber, thank Seward you. Brewing Company, thank you so much. And to everyone else that's on there, you know, whether you're in for a dollar, $5, or $15 a month, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate that no one's dropped out yet. Everyone's still here. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. From the jump, everyone's still here. Yeah. So let's get into Richard Bowen. Richard Bowen, he's a funny man. Mike is hot. Mike's hot? Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Okay, cool. You yeah. like it like that? Here we are, yeah. I know. Okay. That's, that's a nice one, man. Um, So, you're homeless. That's true. <laughs> and the whole library, the whole public library knows because what you... Is this the LUSAC or are you at UAA? Homeless, I'm not home at all. <laughs> I didn't have one. <laughs> Dude, and I'm, I, I, you fell asleep while listening to one of our podcasts. So Yeah, yeah, that's not a reflection on your podcast. I was just, I didn't get, I didn't sleep very Which well. Which one were you listening night. to? Uh, I listened to part of the, f- the first episode, and then another one with, I think, the hip-hop guy. Oh, yeah, Alcoda Beats. Yeah. I like that one. That guy's cool. Um. You know, I guess if I was homeless, a um a library is where I would like kick it because it's like, hi, ah, you need a place to catch a power nap. It's well, quiet. You can escape to a dark corner. Yep. Yeah. They yeah. I mean, libraries are dope. There's free entertainment. You know, there's books all over the place. There's comfortable places to sit, and yeah, it's quiet. Like basically everywhere else that you can go, there will be music playing. What's your favorite section in the library? Uh, humor. Yeah, I like. I just read joke books. What's your favorite joke book? Ooh, that's a good. Well, or right. one of your favorites, man. I've heard that people hate that question. Your favorite. I mean, especially if you read a lot. Yeah. Then you have lots of favorites. Well, I don't ever. I don't think I've ever read one all the way through. Um. Man, what is my favorite? Well, my friend Anthony gave me one called uh i can't even remember what it's called groucho marx is on the cover and he has these like uh these crazy like hypnotist glasses on they have like spirals in them and it's just like seven thousand jokes i mean it's kind of weird when you read them because a lot of the jokes repeat you know or it's like the same joke and it's just slightly different or are you worried that like as a comedian who has to write original material that reading these books somehow like subconsciously you'd like get influenced on yours and rewrite the jokes well um yes and no i think uh as a comedian your 
you know, it's so much more than what you've written and what you're saying. It's like, it's who you are and, uh, what you look like and how you're saying it and when you're saying it, who you're saying it to all these different things. So they're just like, it's all, I like to think of it obviously from, I was a skateboarder for like 18 years before I started doing comedy. And it's like, you could, there's, you know, there's a million people that can do a kickflip, but it doesn't make the kickflip any less cool when he did it. And, but that guy did it, even if it's over the same gap, you know, people be like, Oh, that's already been done. And it's like, okay, well that guy did it in his own special way. You know? Well, what do you think about Dane cook situation, him stealing jokes? And then, cause, cause his, his stuff was a lot about delivery. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've heard a lot of those stories. Like I've heard stories of him and Carlos Mencia, Amy Schumer, um, I heard Robin Williams used to steal a lot, but he used to give a hundred dollars for it. So he'd go to a, a nightclub, he'd watch the comedian, and uh-huh. then he'd be writing the joke down, and then he'd mail him uh, an envelope with a hundred dollars in it and say, oh, "Thanks I'm, for the joke." I've never heard that. That's kind of that's you know, cool. I, I, it's cool too because I'm like, well, I don't know if it's cool, but you're talking about uh, you know part of the joke is your delivery and how you present it and like who you are as like the character up there, right? And yeah. I kind of think of like you know. Dane Cook, or is that who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, he he stole he, jokes yeah, specifically he like, he, from Louis C.K., I think it was. Oh, okay, but do you think he, like, stole jokes from, like, comedians who weren't well-known, but he just went to random, like, stand-ups and was like, I could deliver this better? I think Louis C.K. is pretty big, though. No, he's big, but I'm just curious if, like, some of these people steal from, like, just, like, the random, like, stand-up nights, like the one I went to last night and, and watched Richard, you know? See, that's—I worry about that more— I worry about someone's someone higher than me stealing from me more than I worry about, you know, someone being like, Oh, I read that, that joke in a joke book. Um, I would never, I would never like see a joke in a joke book and be like, Oh, well I'm going to try this one later. Like I do, uh, I do like to remix jokes, you know, like a lot of times I love to take like classic jokes. Like this is one I just thought of, you know, the classic, like a guy walks into a bar and he says, ow, Mm-hmm. And then the bartender's like, why'd you say that, man? Why are you always talking to yourself? <laughs> and so like taking the, you know, I like to take a classic like street joke like that and like take it a step further and like change the context again, you know? So like that joke is like, oh, guy walks into a bar and everyone's like, oh, this is one of those jokes where a guy walks into a bar. He's about to say something weird to the bartender. And then he says, ow. So then they're like, oh, he... And in their mind, the guy hit his head on a bar, but then just saying like, you know, then the bartender says, what, why do you keep coming in here? Why are you talking to yourself? Then you picture a guy walking into a bar and just saying, ow, and like everyone turns, you know? Yeah. And like painting that picture is, it's wild how you, a joke creates a reality and can completely change it. Like. You know, everything, the bar vanishes and the guy all of a sudden is uh, teleported from outside hitting his head on a thing. And now he's in and there's a whole bar scene in your mind. You know, it's like a saloon, you know, maybe if you're like a cowboy type of dude, you hear the the doors flapping or you might picture. I don't know. That's just it's so wild how our our imaginations are so powerful that with just like, you know, 15 words you paint this entire scene in someone's head and then like totally flip it so how'd you get into comedy um well 
I wanted to do it my whole life since uh, I remember listening to like my dad would play Bill Cosby and Steve Martin records when I was super little. And basically, as soon as I could conceptualize that there were people that stood in front of other people and made them laugh and got paid for it, I was like, that is the coolest thing I can imagine doing. And I always wanted to do it, but it just never... I grew up... uh, I lived in the Carolinas until I was six, and then I moved to North Pole. Or actually, I moved to... Well, yeah, I lived in North Pole at first, and then I lived uh, out near uh, Moose Creek, Alaska. So I always lived in, and then I, uh, and then I lived in Fairbanks. Did some high school in Fairbanks, and then and rural Vermont, which is basically all of Vermont. So I just never lived. It, you know, I never lived in a place where it seemed accessible to me. And I was such a shy kid, and just really awkward and kind of like terrified of the world at large, to be completely honest, like the thought of like actually getting up and doing it, uh, was, I was like, there's no way I could ever do this, you know? But then when I was 20, I kind of went through a lot of crap in my twenties and tried to do a bunch of other things and tried to get into visual art and just photography, sculpture, like always, I've always been creative, but then I saw an ad for an improv class, a free drop in improv class. And the kind of like where the, was this? Uh, this was in Burlington, Vermont. Okay. Um, which is where I moved after I uh, lived here. Um, and like the winter blues were starting to kick in, and I was like, I gotta do something. And I was like, and I've always wanted to try comedy. Like this is, I'm gonna do this. And so I did. I did improv once a week for three months, and then I started doing stand up. And once I started writing jokes, every once I kept a notebook on me, I started writing jokes every day in like, uh, like March of 2014. And then it just like, I was fucking hooked. Like just, yeah, writing every day, like writing more, writing faster than you can deliver. You you write more stuff than there is stage time available at that time in my life. So then, and I just got hooked, man. And just like the wordplay, I listened to a ton of hip hop growing up. And like my, my joke writing is kind of more influenced by that almost than comedy. And just the setup punchline. And I just like, I just was always picking words apart and it is just like, even if, even if it's a joke, I'll never say on stage, like just the thrill of discovery of thinking like, Oh, there's like, you can take this idiom and turn it this way where everyone thinks you're saying this. And just with this simple, like this simple little trick you can, it's like the, even the smallest, dumbest joke, I, I get high off it. Like it's such a thrill to me. And just writing it down, like I said, even if I never say it out loud or even if I it never works on stage, like it's as fun to just get that that moment of like, yeah, like the light bulb, you know? And so just following that, you know? I know that uh, Joe Rogan said this one thing. I mean, he says, says a lot of things about comics, but this one thing recently kind of uh, I, I was drawn to because I like really fucked up comics, uh-huh. me personally. Um, and... He was saying with with Roseanne, right? Her her like social media outburst, right? Yeah. Um. He's like, did you think that she was a normal fucking person? Like, is that is that what you thought? You yeah. know, like she's been crazy since the beginning, and uh-huh. all of a sudden, if you if you're going to a comedian for, you know, your political views or anything, like you're you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess my point is is that I think that. In some of the best comedy, in my opinion, it really pushes that envelope. It it pushes it into a realm of 
um, making fun of something that maybe shouldn't be made fun of, but it's with the understanding that it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, it's a touchy subject, but it's, it's kind of, it's one of those things where uh, obviously people that are edgy, uh, are successful for a reason. And, and those jokes get laughed for a reason. And I have a lot of material that's really dark and blue and edgy. And I also have a lot of material that's squeaky clean, you know, and it's, uh, that's something that I struggle with as a comic because some of my favorite jokes are fucked up jokes. You know, they, they aren't, they aren't nice things to say. They're, they're not, you know, I don't do racist jokes or anything like that, but you know, I talk, I talk about mental illness. I talk about, uh, sex and things like that, but I just, it's one of those things where like, if I really love a joke, I feel a responsibility to share it with people and, and sometimes people don't like it and that's, that's life, you know? And, uh, well, I think it's kind of on them though. I mean, if, if somebody comes into a comedy club and they're offended, yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent on them. Well, I, th- I would, ag- I disagree. I think it's, it's always 50, 50. I think it's always 50, 50 and that is your responsibility. And that's part of why stand up is so hard is, and that's a part, that's, what's hard about making it good is you have to accept responsibility. You can't just absolve yourself and say, Oh, these are just my jokes. Like if you're offended, that's your fault. I th- I think if you're really good, a really good comic can find the line and push it and make someone. It's really impressive when you can get someone to laugh when you, when you can get a bunch of Christian people to laugh at a, a, a blasphemous joke or something like that. Cause it, it uh it highlights our shared humanity it's like okay i'm not christian but you are mm-hmm. and uh, it's not uh, neither of us is completely wrong or completely right and there's uh that is uh that's part of being human is like the, the edges are fuzzy you know there's no de- there's no definite answers in this life and that's hard yeah and it, it's and yeah, i can com- agree with that comedy like allows people to look at things from an angle they normally wouldn't because hey it's yeah. a fucking joke you know what i mean and so it's like comedy is and satire is like such a good way for us to like take a look at our society and who we are as a people in a way that like you can't do in like a debate or like you know what i mean yeah yeah it yeah it gives you it gives you a radically different perspective that if you just wrote it out on paper with no humor would be extremely uncomfortable, but it gives you this tasty, sweet nugget of laughter as like a palate. Cl- or it's like, it, it, you know, it's like the spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down. You know, it's like you're giving someone a really valuable shift in perspective and you're giving them a reward to help them uh, yeah, take like, it into their consciousness. Laughter, like it releases like dopamine and serotonin, yeah, right? So yeah. now you like it's like, oh, I'm a white person. This guy just made fun of white people. I laugh, but he's like, so you, you probably remember it more. But it's like, yeah, maybe what this dude just said is is fucking true. And like, we're spoiled fucking brats here in America or something, you know, through humor, right? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I maybe I shouldn't be like anti-gay, you know, or just yeah. Well, South Park has always done a really good job at that. Uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker have talked about we would not have been able to do a quarter of the stuff that we have done mm-hmm. if this wasn't a cartoon with children in it. 
yeah, yeah that's oh, so yeah. true. Oh yeah, never thought about that. Yeah, yeah, that's it, it's almost genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. To like set it up and have like this like commentary on who we are, but having it cartoons and kids. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. what, not, what you're doing is you're, is you're holding up a mirror to society and like, look at yourself, you fucking bastard. You yeah. know, look at all the look at all the crazy shit that that you are doing that we are doing to ourselves. You know, and I think that with the best comedy, it does that. Yeah, and it shows us uh, how hypocritical we are, but also it it, it kind of shines a light on you know how great we can be too. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'll be. Uh, how long are you planning on staying in Alaska? Do you I'll know? be here till uh, I leave on Sunday. You leave Alaska on Sunday? Oh, yeah. damn. Because I was like, I, I can't wait to like see what your comedy looks like after you've been like looking at Alaskans for a while. Oh, yeah. You know, so what... I know I haven't written any like straight up Alaska jokes yet, but who knows? Yeah. I, I think it's going to be intense. I'm like going to go to my middle school and stuff. Like I'm going to hang out with my fifth grade teacher Whoa. on Friday. Did you set that up? I did, yeah. Well, we've just we've kept in touch. She's so cool. Her name is Mrs. Rupert. And what school is this? North Pole. Well, uh, she taught at Badger Road Elementary, which is yep, off Badger. Yeah, which that's my sister's there, neighborhood. Isn't there? There's a North Pole Elementary, right? That's yep. a and different. And there's, there's school. also like Tukasuk Brown now. Yeah, so I remember Tukasuk Brown. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. that's my niece goes there now actually. Okay. But um, so what brought you back up here then? Oh, well, I... Uh, Your fifth grade teacher? I wish she would have paid for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming she's going to buy me lunch, but I hope she doesn't hear this. Whatever. Uh, well, uh, over the last two years, um, I've been traveling a lot with the goal of performing in all 50 states. And uh, as of uh, Saturday, I did it. I Oh, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Fuck yeah, dude. Okay. So this was my last state. And I kind of, I like the way it worked out because, yeah, I I haven't been back here since I graduated high school in 2003. Yeah, symbolism. So how do you, uh, how do you fund that? How do you, how do you get around and and, and do all 50 states like your own, because it's like your own self-produced tour. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which, yeah, the majority of it has been unbooked. Uh, I've performed. I have told jokes inside into a house PA system in, in every state except Connecticut in Connecticut. I've only told jokes to these two bums <laughs> to a bum on the street. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was two but bums in it. a, in a Dunkin' Donuts vestibule. I do. Wait, count wait, wait. It, yeah. can, you, can you explain this? Uh, yeah, I tell jokes on the street. I have a, uh, I have a chest mounted, uh, amplifier that runs on six double A's and, uh, I have a, uh, microphone that goes into a toy gun holster and uh, it's about ah. the shape of a lunchbox. It's strapped to my chest, and I've, uh, I've, I don't know. I've probably done it around 500 times now, all over the country. I did it. I used to do it every weekend at this bar in in Burlington, Vermont, where I started. It was a way because there was one point where I, I performed every single day for about a year and a half. You should make a comedy album called Killing These Streets. I really, I do want to make a live street album. Yeah, that's something I really that want to do. That would be awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, I started doing it there. And then I just always bring it with me wherever I go. It, it costs money to travel. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, so we'll how get are back you paying? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious how one pays for it. Cause... Well, I worked. Uh, so in my 20s, I, I built a bunch of wooden skate parks in Vermont. I was pretty heavily involved in the in skateboarding in Vermont. And then uh, right when I started comedy, I think uh, I'd been in it like a year and a half. Um, 
artisan skate parks out of they're out of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They came and built our our brand new wonderful grind line designed uh, concrete park on the waterfront in Burlington. And I met all those guys out skating, and uh, just like a solidarity thing, I just gave them my number and offered you know oh like I'll show you guys around the state. I'll take you to some swimming holes and stuff. Took them out skating, made them dinner. Uh, they left, and then six months later, they offered me a job. And I had kind of been thinking about... I was pretty comfortable in the Burlington comedy scene, and I was doing fine. And But I was like, man, I should start traveling. And it was like right when I started to get that idea, they offered me the job, and it was like an opportunity to, to go with Could them. Could you travel with them to places that they get like contracted to build the skate park? Yeah, yeah. So I did. I I started in June of 2016. I went to Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, and worked for a month on a park. It I kind of helped finish it. Um, and I told my boss Andy from the outset, which is the first time I've ever done. I was right from the start. I was like, hey, I'm pursuing a career in comedy. That's like my my priority, and I just want to be upfront about that. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And so between every job, I would travel for six to eight weeks and go to as many cities as I could and just do open mics. I would just show up and do all the, I'd go, I'd try to go to the city for a week cycle and I would go and just do all the open mics, you know, sit up front, pay attention, uh, laugh, try to do well as well as I could and talk to people. And I just made a ton of connections over that time. And yeah, through that job, I did four jobs with them, uh, Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, Baltimore, Maryland, Scottsdale, Arizona, and Nashua, New Hampshire. And that's through that process, like a couple months on, six to eight weeks off, a couple months on, six to eight weeks off, I went to, I think like 30 states. So you'd Something be like, like building it and you'd be like, okay, I'm taking part of my paycheck and I'm hopping on this bus and going to the next state over and doing some comedy shows? Yeah, the first... I had a truck at first, but then the truck broke down in the middle of the second job. And so I did, I did three big trips, uh, just with my backpack and Greyhound and hitchhiking. Um, and, and yeah, like we, uh, we got food per diem and rent was paid on the job. So I was basically able to save my entire wage. And then I just, I'm pretty good. I traveled so much just a skateboard not sponsored or anything in my 20s i'm like i was super good at traveling broke and that was something where when i started doing comedy i was like this is so dope because it comedy is dope because it's like it's as scary as skateboarding but there's no physical risk and so i know that i can progress forever i can just keep doing it until i'm you know 100 years old and I was like, and I know how to travel broke. So now I can go, I can go to any city and survive and, and do stand up and just get better and better. And that's, and that's what I've been doing. So that's what's up. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I did those four jobs and saved a bunch of money and then I made that last. And then I just won a national stand up contest for Laffy Taffy and I won 10 grand from that. And this is recently. Yeah. I won in June at the end of June. Oh, hell yeah. That's so awesome. How, how did that so, work? Uh, the contest. Yeah. So my, fr yeah, my friend Darren sent me a link to it and you had to submit three written jokes and a 60 to 90 second clip and it had to be clean. Oh, it's uh, Laffy Taffy. I get yeah. it. 
Uh, which, which, luckily, I've. You know what happens when you shove this up your ass? <laughs> Can't say that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you would be, dude. This, if you're ever gonna enter a contest, read all the rules, because like 75% of the submissions were either too short or too long. Or it's, some guys like talk about rim jobs. It's like, dude, you're not gonna get hired. You're not gonna get a laffy taffy <laughs> job if you talk about a rim job no, for 94 audience, seconds. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I submitted for that and uh and I got in the top three and the, the top three won a trip to Los Angeles with a friend and uh did that and then they, they put Did you take Darren? No, I did not take Darren. Oh, well he lives Richard. in he lives in uh <laughs> Richard. He lives in San Francisco and he was thinking about coming. Uh he didn't end up making it. He has a family and stuff now. Uh but no, I brought my friend Max. He's a skater I know. Like one of my best skateboarding friends from Seattle. Cool. So, so did you guys kind of turn it into a skate trip as well? Oh yeah, 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 so, yeah. Max is like one of the sickest skaters I know. Yeah, we skated some pools and some parks, and I went over stairs my first time. What do you mean over stairs? Like firecracker? Like, no, I, like in a pool. I like carved oh, over, tight, over the dude. stairs my first yeah, time. Yeah, pools yeah. Pools are like oh, like gap the stairs. No, where you gr- you like grind over them. You know. Oh, in a okay. Pool, yeah. Like carve over them. Yep. Yeah, in Beverly Hills. In Beverly Hills. Yeah, it was sick. That is sick. There's three, three of you in L.A. Yeah, top three, and they they put together a showcase at the Laugh Factory, and they put seven other professional comics on it just to make it like a full good show. And uh, Nick Cannon hosted it. And I love Drumline. Yeah, I've never seen, I've never seen any of his. I work. mean, I, I you know what's funny is I started off like sarcastically liking it. Yeah, and then. The funny thing is, is as you get older, you're like, shit, I think I might have really liked it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like when you look back. Like guilty, <laughs> guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I have a ton of that shit. Smash Mouth, dude. I love Smash Mouth. <laughs> well, ever I'm since they were lie. in Shrek, I'm, I think that that was their like in. Everyone's <laughs> like, like, yeah, them dude, I love Shrek. I liked them before. Yeah, I like their old stuff. Know, Yo, Fushu Mang. <laughs> What's up? He's guilty. That and Chumba Wamba. Chumba Wamba Radio on Pandora is pretty... Uh, Pretty blast of the past, awesome. I can't dude. think of any other Chumbawamba song besides that. I get knocked down and I they, get up again. They all sound pretty it's called much Tub the same. Thumper. Sir. Yeah, yeah, that's the album, right? It's got a name. <laughs> it's got. I think a, the I name, think the song's called Tub Thumper, but now I'm like, oh, oh. I actually don't know. <laughs> I'm not like positive. Now I'm shriveling. So, so the Laugh Factory, that's pretty big time. Yeah, I think uh, I told jokes on the same stage as like Rodney Dangerfield and all kinds of legends have been. It's right on the Strip. It's right next to the Comedy Store. Um. Yeah, it's funny. They did not expect legitimate comedians to submit. They expected like weird, like dads and moms, or you know, like, oh, <laughs> like that weird dads. <laughs> yeah. Well, people call them dad jokes all the time. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, but yeah, we had to do. Yeah, we each had to do four minutes, and and I crushed, dude. I messed them up, Fuck dude. Yeah. I messed them up in their heads, and I won. <laughs> dude, were you nervous? I mean, this is. Like- I was very nervous. Yeah, that's. Definitely by far the highest and, stakes and thing I've ever done. And you don't drink or do drugs, correct? I don't. So how do you uh, how do you keep that that chill going, man? It's it's just repetition, man. I've just done, you know, at that point, I've probably performed somewhere in the neighborhood of two thousand times, and it's just uh, uh, I heard the saying, "Tried and true, never blue," and that's what I did. I I did all jokes that I knew really well, uh, with the exception of one joke i wrote about laffy taffy uh can we hear it yeah yeah uh why did donald duck bug bugs bunny for some money 
Why? Because he wanted to go halvesies with Daffy on some Laffy Taffy. <laughs> there, there's that hip hop influence, right? Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. And dude, when I told it, it was like, it was like, oh, you know, like it was, <laughs> it, it was a hit. Dude. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty dope. That's tight. Uh, that was a cool. That was like that was extra exciting because that was like you know. That was the only, by far, the newest joke I had done. Because as soon as I signed up for the contest, as soon as I submitted, I was like, I got to write a joke about Laffy Taffy. And I thought of that literally within like two minutes. I was at an open mic in Vermont. I was like, I got to think of a Laffy Taffy joke. And that was the first one I came up with. I tried, I, w I almost did some jokes about Nick Cannon. And then I was like, nah, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like that's shit. like you know, like I think of a roast, right? Where you, everyone just gets up and talks shit on each other. Yeah, but you have to like earn your spot at a roast. I wouldn't have roasted him. I just would have like I was just gonna make some kind of canon joke, like oh, like I'm glad you shot up here to host or something dumb. But I was like, I'm not gonna risk it. Like, so you didn't even write any Nick Cannon jokes? I at did. All? I did. I wrote a bunch that day, like do, in the do Laugh you, Factory. Do you remember any? I don't. I don't. Just cannon fodder. What a no! I can't. I can't. I can't yeah. remember any. Okay. They're okay. in a notebook somewhere. I never tried. But any you told them how much you like drumline. I. You know, it was kind of awkward between Nick and I. He didn't. He didn't really talk to any of us. <laughs> between Nick and I. Yeah. Nick, we're not. I wouldn't say that we are homies. He said that he liked my jokes, but then he never called me to do while and out. So Nick, if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast in Alaska. Oh yeah, Nick's Nick's a patron of ours on Patreon. No, so. Nick, yeah, Nick is a big crude fan. Yeah, yeah it's sick, dude. That's, um, dude, that's sick. So, do you have any more obligations for Laffy Taffy? Are we gonna be able to like read your jokes on there? I yeah, I just I actually just spoke to them four or five days ago, and it turns out they are. Uh, I'm gonna write jokes for their social media. Yeah, and, how, and how's that know, gonna work? I don't know if that's an ongoing gig or if it's like a one-time thing or. I hope it's a. I don't think they realize the depth of my repertoire. I have I have hundreds of like throwaway, dumb little question and answer jokes that I can submit. So I, I hope that and I will. You can I, fund your second tour this I way. I if it's a paid gig, like I'd be hard pressed to not like kind of do that for a while. Like I've never had a paid writing gig, and it, and it could um, it could just lead to. It's a cool weird credit. It's a, it's a very. It's very prominent in people's minds, you know, and it, it's fun. People have been telling me the whole time I've been doing comedy that, oh, you got to write jokes for that. Oh, you, you. Oh, what do you write jokes for popsicle sticks? And it's so sick because now when people crack that joke, I can be like, actually, yeah, I do. I write jokes Motherfucker. for Laffy Taffy. Like, <laughs> so is, okay, yeah, so this you is, might this find is like me a in 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, it's funny to me that I like the idea of like, you know, I won this, I won this comp competition for this national brand and then i take the money and i live in my van and go to drive to omaha for an open mic like it's like yeah, yeah it's sick it, well yeah and just like you know people when you tell people like oh i'm going on tour or like oh i've performed in all 50 states there's some people it puts this picture in their mind of like oh you're like this professional comedian it's like no nah, man like i'm like you know I'm like eating ramen and like sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. Like it's not. You're stretching that 10 G's. Yeah. 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 I'm making the mo absolute most of it that I can. And it's like. So what is yeah, your like so... level then like metrics for success? Like, I mean, eventually you'd probably want to be able to do this and not have to sleep in Walmarts and eat ramen. Right. So what does that look yeah. like as a comedian? Uh, that's a tough, that's a really tough thing to answer. I mean, I think. The most important thing to me is making people laugh. 
And I really enjoyed doing that in strange contexts. And that, that's just kind of what I follow. Like I love, uh, you know, I try to get on better and better shows and I've been pushing myself more. Like I, I'm booking myself a week in New York. I try to, I try to spend a week in New York every, every year. And I, I get on better and better shows. And, um, but then it's like, I love, I, I, uh, I've performed at a couple prisons in Vermont. That's something I want to keep going. I'd like to get into performing at like homeless shelters and, uh, kind of, where people need to laugh. Exactly. Yeah. Are like that pay- stuff is rad. And do those I don't get to be paid gigs or how does that work? Or I've got, I've done three prison gigs in Vermont. One was paid. The other two were not. Um, was it a for-profit prison? Oof, I assume so. <laughs> I think they all are. Right. Yeah, I think so. So do, does, so part of it, I mean, there's, there's like this, you know, you have to also like, while you're honing your like stage presence and your writing and these kind of like skills for the art of it, you probably have to be learning some kind of like business promotion side of things, right? Like, how do yeah. I market myself? How do I get in? So what what have you learned about that, that, that side of things that people don't get to see all the time? Um, that, that stuff, I stress over that stuff a lot. And, um, but I just try to maintain a consistent aesthetic on social media or whatever, you know, like I post, uh, like every third post I do on Instagram is a, is a spread from my notebook. Um, you know, it's like two pages of clean jokes and it's like, there's a couple in there that I really like that I would say out loud. So if you go to my Instagram, like one entire column is all jokes it's really important to me to put that writing out there. And I want to, like, I want people to read the jokes, but I just also want to encourage other comics that follow me to write, you know, and to, I want to, like, I want that process of writing to be transparent. And I want to encourage people, I want to encourage people to fail, you know? I don't want people to see me and think like, oh, he does all these perfect jokes or whatever. Like, I want them to see that process of like, ooh, like, I can't believe he wrote that down, you know, but then, Oh, this one's really good. You know, like I want people to see that and to be inspired to create. So the, you, you, you're telling like people that. the story of like being a comedian almost. Yeah. Yeah. I try to do that in kind of a subtle way. And then, you know, once in a while I post skate clips. I like to post that regularly, which those get, those get so much more of a response than anything I post comedically, which is really frustrating to me, but I don't care. People like to watch me skate. So it's, but like, you know what? One thing I've realized, I, I, cause I manage a few different accounts um, just for the things I do is that I don't know if like necessarily that likes correspond to like what somebody walks away with, you know, like, yeah. like it's very easy to like the flashy stuff, but I still think even though they don't like it, some stuff sticks with them. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So you might be like, man, everyone just likes me for my skating or something, right? And, and not my jokes, but <laughs> yeah. you'd be surprised, I think. That's that's kind of what I've what I've been learning. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, we used to we used to post a lot of um Northern Lights pictures on on crew just because I mean I personally like Northern Lights, but I'm not like super fucking gaga over them, you know? Yeah. But I think that you have the the passive social media people just going through and liking it, you know? Yeah. And I think that to me, what that does is that it just reinforces the fact that people are paying attention to you. So you kind of have to toss that out every once in a while, but um, you also have to put your message out there every three posts, every four posts to, to keep that at the forefront of what people, why people are actually following you still. 
Yeah. You know, that's the message. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like you were saying, it's easy to get distracted. I wish that I couldn't even see the likes. I wish that you could just oh. turn that off, you know? He wishes he had zero likes all the time. Well, it's a, I don't quit liking <laughs> my <laughs> shit, people. Or maybe if you could just see the number, I guess, but I wish that you had to like seek it out. I don't like that and that and that stuff is engineered to be addictive, you oh, know. Yeah, like, it, yeah, yeah, the yeah. fucking psychology behind it is yeah. so insane and I'm so like intrigued and disgusted at the same time. And have you seen that Black Mirror episode? No, but I've watched some of that stuff. That is some wild stuff. Oh, that shows That's like shit. the modern Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Dude, so there's this one, right? And it's like, it's set sometime in the future. And basically, we have like real time, like liking what people do. So if like someone walks over to you or like, uh-huh. like stumbles into you, you can like select them and be like dislike. And so you're going through and everyone's rating each other with likes or dislikes based on everything, the sound of their voice, whatever. And you're, you have a rating in society that's going up or down in real time. And it, and it basically, the higher your rating, the more access you have to things in society, you know, and it just, it really goes into like this in-depth thing of how we like focus who we are on what other people think by their Mm -hmm. like the ability to push a button well, because everybody thinks they're a fucking brand now. I mean, that's what it is. That's why you have the oh, like Instagram models. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's absurd. Well, it's tough because it, it is absurd and it's sad and it's addictive and all those things. But at the same time, there is, it's pretty cool that it's really cool that you can go on. I can go on day one songs, Instagram. Oh, well that, that, cause that, that's a good one. Talk to him, you know? Yeah, that's is, really cool that it's leveled the playing field. To- totally, because yeah, yeah, now, yeah. now he's actually talking to people. You know, it's yeah. like, um, yeah, people are getting to interact with people they might not have. Like, there, there's always going to be pros and cons, yeah. right? And so we just discussed the cons, but there's got to be some pros of this social media. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. mean, oh, the ability the good with the bad. to cut out like these middlemen, right? So before like all content and like all messages had to be like, were chosen by like a magazine or like a, yeah. t- or a TV network. But with YouTube, with Instagram, with all these decentralized platforms, everyone's allowed to put their voice out to the world. Yeah. And that's allowing people that might not have necessarily gotten that chance to get it and to like shine. Yeah. So that's oh, a positive. That's a, that brings up a point. Um, it's interesting to put content out on these platforms in a way that, you know, you're trying to represent yourself accurately, but then to measure yourself in terms of success based on what I, what I grew up with as far as consuming skate media. So like, it's funny, like I'm doing, you know, I'm doing shows or this and that, and I'm, you know, skating here or whatever. And once in a while, like it, just often enough i get people that are like dude i love it when you post those pages i like it when you post those things and they'll tell me in real life and it's and then when somebody does that you're like oh yeah that's why i did that and then you feel so dumb for like worrying about it so much you never know until they tell you i was out um having some drinks with this girl the other day and she was like um or i was like i was like i follow her on on instagram and i was like i love when you post those like motivational entrepreneurial quotes Cause she puts one up like every day. Right. And mm-hmm. she's like, Oh really? I, I just figured everyone hated those, you know? Yeah. Cause you don't know. Right. And then he- here I am. I'm like, I actually love those. It always like gives me like a, a positive boost when I read it. So please yeah. keep doing it. Right. And cause you, you never, you're vulnerable when you put your stuff out there. Well, and that's, what's interesting is the people 
when it kind of goes back to what I was saying about writing, like when you get the when you get the spark where you're like, oh, I should post this thing because I really like it and I think it, you know, it uh, goes along with what I'm trying to present myself and things like that. And then the doubt swoops in where you're like, oh, I don't know if it's good <laughs> enough or if it's going to get likes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you put that stuff up and the people who come up to you in real life or the people who message you and say like, that is really cool that you did that. That's who you're shooting for. That's what you really want. And those yeah, are, yeah. those are the people that are going to support your career and, and vice versa. You know, like the, think of how good you feel when somebody that you look up to post something or, oh man, this sounds so corny, but, but yeah, it's like you, it's easy to forget about that stuff and just look at this, like how many likes am I getting or like, you know, oh, like so-and-so reposted me or so, oh, it sounds so corny to even say this shit, but, but it's like, it's a valuable platform and it's a, it's a real, uh, direct way to reach people. And it, and if you do it right and you stick with your shit, it's, it you, can be cool. You, you know? can, you can do it in like an authentic and genuine way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without just being like, oh, I'm just looking for likes and I'm just a, you know, a fucking whore. Yeah. You know what, what Dustin and I, I always talk about is the idea of, um, quality over quantity yeah. and that whatever, we try to produce we would like it to be obviously quality or quantity and in effect that makes it more timeless and so you look at like the short short term versus long term benefits right and short term effects of just like say doing uh quantity over quality would just be like you know people started paying attention to you right but then they kind of realize that whatever you're putting out it's kind of shitty yeah. Right. Whereas if you spend time on whatever that product is, whether it's a joke or whether it's a podcast or whether it's a magazine, um, that this thing that you created and you put your whole fucking heart and soul into. Yeah. Is going to be timeless. Yeah. And yeah. And compelling. And uh, yeah, something worth consuming, you know, something worth checking out. What is it? It's, it's 2018 right now. Yeah. Did you forget the year again? Uh, again, uh, <laughs> been there. Dude, well, you know, we've been talking about weed and stuff now. <laughs> um, <laughs> 20 years ago, 1998, let's say, Cody, we're in our 30s, right? And we wanted to start this podcast. We Wait, couldn't, in 98? Yeah, let's just say 1998. Oh, yeah, let's yeah. just travel back in time, right? We couldn't fucking do it. We'd have to, like, what, get a radio show or something? I, I mean, how could, would we do it? Terrestrial could, radio. You could probably that? do some kind of internet radio at that point. I think something that was probably like the closest thing. Yeah, to but this, can you but... self-publish yourself? Is what I'm saying because we're self-publishing this yeah. on on like you know through all the platforms that are available like Spotify, YouTube's, uh, yeah. iTunes, right? I mean, anyone can do it. Yeah, but I and, think that that's an important thing to to pick up on is that those platforms exist. Yeah, but back they, in '98, they, they didn't. didn't. I mean, we'd have to like get someone. Well, to, it'd like, be a it'd blog. Be so much... It'd probably be a blog, is what it would be. Or an actual radio show. Yeah, like or an actual the... radio show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, how do you even do that? Like, or even, or even comedy. If we're looking at that, I mean, you would, you know, what's really interesting um, is that you're traveling to these places and mm-hmm. you're you're really like just hitting the ground running. Yep. And that is actually very old school, as opposed to you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna just shoot these clips of me doing comedy, like Nick Coletti or something like that, right? Yeah. And then you 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 try to enter the comedy scene that way. Yeah. Whereas you are doing it like pretty OG status. Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, I, I, I've thought about, um, 
you know, like you see people that get famous on, there's people that get famous strictly on YouTube and then they can headline comedy clubs because, you know, 2 million people follow them or whatever, or they can feel whatever they can, they can establish a fan base and then just show up in a city and have 50 people show up and listen to what they say. And I've, I've thought about trying to take that Avenue, but I just love, I love going somewhere and being nobody and going, getting on stage for seven people that have no idea who you are. And a lot of times it's comics that are bored out of their mind or whatever. And making those people laugh. It's hard to do, but that's why I like doing it because it's really hard, but I've gotten pretty consistently good at it. And that's made me so much better when there is a good crowd. It's like shooting fish in a barrel and you just, it inspires the people that are in that scene that you're in, you know, all of a sudden you're who the fuck is this guy? Like, Oh, that guy's, that guy made me laugh really hard. Like I want to get better now. And it's the same when people come to Burlington, you know, it's like people come in from out of town and it's just this breath of fresh air. And you're like, Oh, like this is like some direction I can go in. Like, Oh, I didn't, I've never heard somebody do that or this, or, Oh, this guy's like making buttons. This guy's making merch. Like he's gone here. It's just like breaking down those barriers and like creating a strong network, not just for the sake of like getting ahead, but for the sake of experiencing expression all over the country, it's popping everywhere. There's, there's, awesome comedians everywhere at the shittiest open mics there's people that are immensely talented and it's so cool to see people like that when no one's listening it feels so special you know you're like damn this guy's so funny and there's five people here makes you feel like it's it's alive and i think that that's that's ultimately what it all comes down to is is human interaction yeah it, it can't exist solely behind a computer screen you yeah, know? it yeah. can't because like you ju- everything yeah. you just explained what that environment creates. Yeah. And the ripple effects of like someone coming from out of town or whatever. Or even you said somebody has X amount of million followers on Instagram and they come to this comedy place, yeah. this comedy spot, comedy store. Um that's that's the end goal. You know, like the the social media was a conduit to get to that. Yeah, but yeah. On the other flip side of that is, you know, you go to this uh open mic night first time in town and all of a sudden now you've got like Oh, let's say 20 people that liked you or yeah. liked it, right? So they're like, I'm going to follow this guy. So now even, you know, in it, before social media, they would, you'd come and you would have gone and just been like a flash or a memory. But yeah. now you can like keep kind of communicating to these people. Yeah. Yeah. That's which is huge. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is huge. And, which and, and, is... and it's like, it's like if they like kind of liked you or liked your story, it's a way for them to kind of follow along on your adventure. Yeah. Which is another thing that I get. Like I was at, I was in nashua new hampshire when i was building that park there and some guy his kid skates i saw him at the skate park i can't even remember where i met this guy i think it was on i think it was in like california or something and all of a sudden he's there in nashua and he's like hey man i met you at that thing last year and it's been really cool to see where you're going on your travels and stuff and again that's like where it's like oh cool like oh you like that stuff like sick like i'll keep posting it you know like i'll keep and that make, gets me psyched to do it more. And, and yeah, it's cool that, uh, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought, but man, it's like, there's so many people doing so many cool things and it's neat to see it at such a low level, you know? Cause you know that, uh, like when it's, you a, make it's a numbers it, you get isolated game. kind of from the 
do you think? Like if you make it as a comedian, when I you could, I could level? see that happening. Yeah, I could see that because it's hard. It's it's hard. You're just ha- eventually, you're just hanging out in a car drinking coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's kind of a. I could see that happening where all of a sudden, if you make it to some extent, and you you know you can get booked anywhere or you get you know you get a solid following then you don't have to work as hard that i could just see it get boring i could see how people fall off when they make it i mean you see that happen in skateboarding sometimes where somebody blows up they just lose the fire they lose that hunger but also i think that people when they make it whatever that looks like i think that they isolate themselves because they they have they have eaten the shit for so long that yeah. now they just want to surround themselves with family or, or like-minded people or their friends. You know, yeah. they don't need to e- keep eating the shit because yeah, yeah. they did it. You know, now now they got, they reached the goal. Yeah. But also I think that it, you know, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because once you've reached the goal, are you still hungry? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's one of those things to realize, which I try to work hard on. It's like you knowing that at some point in my life you know knowing that like taking the greyhound from la to vegas at four in the morning and being terrified that i'm gonna get robbed at the gas station when we stop in that moment it sucks but someday i'm gonna be like damn that is so sick that i did that (laughs) and that is such a cool that's such a cool memory yeah it's it's hard though sometimes in those moments right oh yeah yeah but that's life though that's like when shit is that's like you're like really living you know yeah you're in it not that you're not in other contexts but i try to really like relish those moments and that's like i said like at an open mic it's everyone you're I hate it when comic oh this sucks like this is just some shitty open mic it's only comics it's like yeah yo these are other people that love doing the same thing as you and if you choose to look at it like this sucks that sucks you're being shitty and you're making it worse for everybody else like so many times just from the thing of this is what happens at the comedy open mic you go to the comedy open mic at the beginning everyone's in the room Somebody goes up, they leave. Next person goes up, they go outside. Next person goes up. I remember I was at this mic in Baltimore one time. There's literally a a crowd of 20 comics outside that were so loud, you could hear them inside the venue from the stage. And it's 20 comics talking about how shitty the show is inside. And it's like, if (laughs) all 20 of you were inside, this would be awesome. This would be so fun. And And they're having fun smoking weed or what not and not that there's anything wrong with that it's like it's good to have a hang but it's like why don't we do the thing that we came here to do and support each other and then hang out or you know and i i I get really worked up about that shit because it's like people don't you sitting there complaining about how crappy the situation is you're literally doing all you have to do is shut up and listen to this you sitting there thinking about that in your own mind you're missing this joke that this person just wrote in a in a they just went through this gnarly breakup or something like that and they're trying to make they're trying to turn it into gold and you're sitting there stewing over your own shit you know what this sounds like it it sounds like you're a skater you know because because you're not going to do a trick or you're not going to bust your ass to to try to land this trick without your homies there yeah you know because as much as skateboarding 
has been called not a team sport, it is. Yeah. It's totally a team sport because you have to have your crew. You have to have a good crew in order for you to progress as as a skater. Yeah. And I think that maybe what maybe the way that you're looking at comedy is like the same exact way. Like it's a like, team sport? Yeah. Well, you just you want you want your homies to hear your joke that you've been writing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's so much sweeter, yeah. When yeah. You can all experience it together. It's fun by yourself. But it's way cooler when your friends are there or when, you're, when your group is your tribe, you know? And that's like, like I said, a lot of people, oh, that mic sucks. It's always just comics. It's like, if you can make a room full of comics laugh, that's so dope. Like, mm-hmm. you should be striving for that. Like, And it, you know how depressing it is to be a comic. So how cool is that if you can make all those people feel good and forget about all that crap for a moment, you know? And I... That's another reason that, like, when I go to open mics, I'm traveling. It's a hard life. So when I go to an open mic, I go there to laugh. Like, I want to forget about how I just slept in an abandoned building or what. Like, not that, whatever. That is, like, that's besides the point. But I go there to laugh. It's like, I want to see, show me what you, I want to hear what you have to say, you know. And that goes for everybody, dude. Like, I don't write anybody off, you know. You have to be like pretty like fucked up and misogynistic for me to write you off as a comic or homophobic or whatever like it's like like I said anyone the dumbest thing that someone brought to the open mic could turn into the best joke they've ever written and it's so cool to see it for the first time like and to be a part of that experience it's 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 not a you can't be a comic without an audience and so both you know, both roles are equally important. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I hope this doesn't. Uh, well, let's just let's just go into it. So, okay. you you struggle with depression, right? Yeah. And that and that was one of the reasons why you decided to um, pursue comedy like full bore, right? Because you were like, this is the thing that makes me happy. Yeah. And I'm going to do it full time because it's this combative thing against my depression. Um, was there a time maybe before you were diagnosed uh, with, with depression where you didn't know what was wrong with you or what was going on with you? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, I kind of started to experience it my last two years of high school in Alaska. And I kind of started to know it like in the winter, you know, like it was getting harder and um, and then, yeah, probably my first, my first two years of college, the, those winters were really hard. And then it was like kind of in the middle of my, or the summer after my sophomore year, I kind of like realized that depression was a thing. And I was like, Oh, like you read the symptoms and you're like, Whoa, ding, 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 ding. Like I have all those things. And then, yeah, I went, I went to see a doctor and it was like, and that's when I was like, that started a long process of like learning how to live with it and cope with it and deal with it in ways that are not, don't make it worse, you know? And, uh, but yeah, absolutely. There was probably, yeah, probably a good, like four or five years where I just thought I was, uh, just broken or fucked up or whatever, you know, like, uh, just weird, you know? You know, when you're in the thick of it, do you have any coping mechanisms? Um, yeah, I think uh, exercise is the biggest thing. That's like the number one 
you know, no negative side effects, easy as easy, anything, just getting out of your house, taking a walk, skating, obviously if you can, uh, doing that. I think, uh, I did, I was in therapy for a couple of years. That is, you get out what you put in. Sometimes it, sometimes I'd leave feeling worse, but I don't know, like talking to confiding in people, which is hard. It's like, cause sometimes you got to find the right people. Cause sometimes people just get freaked out and they don't know how to talk about that stuff. But you know, kind of like there's, there's a stigma. I mean, especially if you look at it like culturally, it's like, I mean, especially in Alaska, you know, depression is, is, you know, seasonal depression. Yeah. Yeah, It's big here, but at the same time, we don't like have a focus. It seems like on mental health or like, you know, Oh, you're just not manning up. Yeah. You know, it's like, just man the fuck up. And it's like, well, actually I've got some real issues and I wish you'd just fucking listen to them. Yeah. Or somebody would, you know, like, yeah, or talk them out or it's like, it's, it's, it needs to be okay to not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. Cause it's a moving target. And as a, it's, oh, it's so hard. Cause you have to, on the one hand, it's a real thing, but on the other hand, it's so easy to use it as an excuse too. And that's like, that's one of the hardest things as a mentally ill person to be like, Oh, I didn't come cause I was depressed or whatever. Cause sometimes that, that's a real thing, but then other times it, you just used it as an excuse. And that is a really tough thing to navigate and to learn how to. Well, that's gotta be like one of the like negative effects of depression is like, it just causes you to become like maybe like even like more depressed than you really are. Like, you yeah, know, absolutely. It becomes a... an excuse or like, Oh, you just, are oh, you accepting it? And it's just like, fuck, I don't do anything now. Let me ask you this: Have um, if if you don't mind, and you don't have to answer this, Rip but it, dude. um, have you ever been prescribed antidepressants? Yeah, I tried. Uh, I tried them at two points. Both times, I did it for like the minimum amount of time, where it was like I quit taking them like right when it was supposedly gonna start kicking in. And yeah, I don't think that works really. Yeah, I but I never. I always had reservations. Both times I did it, I didn't really. I never really believed it was going to help me and I didn't even want to be doing it, but I, I was pretty like desperate at those times and I don't regret trying it. But l- like I said, through, through a long process, through a like eight year process, that's about how long it took me to like really figure out what worked for me. And even now it's a, it's a moving target. It's, it's always changing like what works and, and it's re- well, honestly with the and our, with the lifestyle I live that makes it pretty hard too. But um, I don't. I definitely do not condemn uh, antidepressants at all. Like everybody, you have to you have to figure out what works for you, and that's a process that, that everyone has. I to mean, go I mean, through. the only reason I brought it up is because a lot of people do condemn them or say, "Oh, I got on antidepressants when I went through a through depression, and it yeah. worked." Fucking miracles. Yeah. I mean, in combination with some other things my doctor gave me. But I mean, once those things kicked in and I and I took them for a year and it was like, it created this like, this like artificial floor. And like, whereas I was like falling into these low places all the time. Uh-huh. Once this, once I was on this medication, it wasn't even like a super high dose. It was like, I couldn't fall below this. And I was able to yeah. get stuff done again. Like, you know, and 
Yeah, I eventually went off them because I was just like, there was some weird side effects where if like you forget to take one, you get like these crazy brain zaps. You know, uh-huh. like if it's gone more than like twelve hours, you start getting some really crazy physical shit. What's a brain zap, dude? It's okay. So it's kind of like imagine like turning your head to like someone you hear a noise to your right, and you turn your head to the right. Well, it feels like something inside of your brain turns after you have like this echo feeling. Is the only Whoa. way I can describe it. When I looked it up on Google, they called it brain zaps because I mean the way these things are working. Is it's like an NSRI, right? So that's norepinephrine serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So the way your chemistry works is, when something good happens, your body like sends out like uh, serotonin or these other different endorphins, right? And it's it's how you're wired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it like takes them back up or whatever, right? You have this like system, but when you get depressed, you stop learning how to use this system or it doesn't work. Uh-huh. So what the what the pill does is it kind of starts rebalancing that. A little bit, right? And that's why you have to take it over a long period of time because it takes a while for it to balance. And that's why you have to wean yourself off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to stop like uh, cold turkey. Yeah, Yeah, because it can really, like I said, that brain zaps. But I guess that's why you're getting those feelings is because your body is used to whatever that chemical is doing to change that chemical structure in your head. And I know it sounds fucking crazy. But man, well, we look at any other drug. I mean, I know, but dude, it works so well, man. And I'm just like, my point is, is other drugs work that same way. You know, you have to wean yourself off heroin, not saying that they're the same at all, but. Oh yeah. Anything that affects us chemically, your body adapts. Exactly. That's like the, um, yeah, that's the, like just the, the, um, the craziness of our anatomy, oh, yeah, right? We're always, so wild. yeah, we're like an open system, but I don't know, man. I just, there is a lot of stigma and yeah. fuck dude. Therapy and medication and seeing someone and honestly, I was on Medicaid at the time because I, you know, it's all I could. I, I qualified for it. Yeah, and I was able to go and see a doctor in the lowest part of my life, and over the course of six months, see a therapist and have medication and work on things. And I fucking my life just like fucking shot up because of it, dude. I was yeah. back. You know what I mean? And one thing I've noticed is I, I, I can actually fall back into that place though sometimes. Yeah. That's what's weird. It's like it's the like depression. Yeah, or... I, I can have okay. like I can in where it's like before I had my depression, I never went there, right? But it's kind of like once you once you allow your brain to get to that place, it seems like your brain can go back there again. Yeah, absolutely. That's a common. Once you've had every time you have an episode, you're more likely, more and more likely to have another one. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of I guess it's similar to what I was saying about comedy or with uh with skateboarding too like you learn how to fall you know part of it is learning how to fall part of it is accepting i know that for myself like i know i know that i am uh prone to feeling real bad and i know that i will probably feel like that again in my life and you have to learn how to not be pissed at yourself for like letting yourself go there or something like that. Cause that just makes it worse. You have to Which have is tools. such a mind fuck. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard when you're mad at yourself for, uh, being depressed and then you're depressed, you know, it's a, it, and then it just spirals, you know? Yeah. Dude. Which is about, and then it's about mindfulness. And that is a, I did, a I meditated every day for like a year and a half. And it's one of those, I feel bad for that. I haven't kept it up. I I'll, I'll kind of start, I've started and stopped again a couple of times, but I really think that that doing it for that sustained period of time really 
made me slow down on how I react to things. Uh, it made me kinder to myself or, or less likely to get mad. Well, you start to get mad at yourself and then you're, you're like, Oh, I'm doing that thing again where I'm like, uh, being really mean to myself. Cause I slept five minutes past my alarm and it's like, I could get really mad at myself and go back to sleep because of it. Or I could just get up right now and it'd be okay. You yeah. know, like, like shit, like it's like the, life is learning how to think about yourself and about yeah. life. Right. And, and yeah. And then it's all these little whys in your life. I know where you're like, it's just a you, lot of little, someone like, told me yourself. something the other day, a few weeks ago. And it's, it's something I use now all the time. Like, you know, when you have something to do the next day, but you can't sleep. Uh-huh. And it just, it's like the every single minute you're up past when you're supposed to, it's like creating more and more fucking stress. And that stress make, make, makes you stay up, right? Whether it's anxiety or something, you're like, fuck, you know, I've been up for three hours. What, what she told me she does is she just doesn't give a fuck. She just says, I'm going to turn on TV, whatever, and I'm not going to think about it. Because I'm either going to go to sleep or not, but if I spend three hours being stressed and having anxiety over not being able to fall asleep... It's going to be ten times worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I've I've tried that actually because sometimes I can't sleep. You know, I think that that's also it uh, works. That that also comes with maturing, getting older. I know that uh, John Woodbury, the guy who owns Coast yeah. uh, Magazine, yeah. um, he told me at one point when I first started Crude that to make sure that I take care of my own well-being because the work will still be there. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you do the best work when you are taking care of yourself for sure. Yeah. And you know, you get some cool stuff, you know, I have a lot of good jokes about being depressed and things like that. And I like those jokes, but it's like, I don't have to go there to, you know, I can write, I can write good, I can be happy and write good jokes. You know what I mean? Like I can feel, I can feel good. I don't have to be this. Like your best material doesn't come from a state of depression. Yeah. I don't, I, I do think that. You know, part of doing comedy or whatever is the alchemy, like turning the shit into gold. But it's like you can't, you can't be like, oh man, I'm, I want to write some jokes. I'm gonna get real bummed, and <laughs> you know that's insane. You know, not to say that I haven't thought about, you know, maybe, man, maybe that's why I feel like I'm so good at this because I'm so sad, whatever. So if you could talk to your younger self and imbue some knowledge about. Um, coping with depression, what would that be? Um, well, I think, I, I mean, a huge thing f- for me doing comedy, r- developing a writing habit, expressing myself on a regular basis and doing it around other like-minded people completely changed my life and changed the way that I interact with the world. And so that's kind of the biggest, if I could go back, which I don't real, I don't spend time you know, I try not to dwell on stuff like that too much and I do a pretty good job. But if I could change anything about my life, I would have done uh stand up comedy at my eighth grade middle school talent show in 1999 with my friend Ivan Rodriguez because he did it and he crushed. And I sat there and I felt very intense regret because I wanted to do it and I didn't. And but yeah, just to fail, man, just try anything. Trying is uh, a thousand percent cooler than not trying even if it totally sucks like (laughs) failing is dope like if you tried to do something that you like you're killing it you're literally like if you try it all 
you're the coolest person you could be, you know? And that's, it's pretty simple. Life is pretty simple like that. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So in a battle to the death, who wins a silverback gorilla or a Kodiak grizzly? Whoa. Oh shit. You're bringing this one up. Well, dude, I just watched that movie rampage. And the in that a gorilla with kills. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, yeah, it's super. Did, did they have know, a bear though? Yo, did you know that uh, Dwayne Johnson has destroyed every single pair of scissors he's ever tried to use? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess a a reporter from the New York Times tried to interview him about it, and he was like, "Do you have any idea what would happen if you covered me in the paper?" Yeah. No, I get it. Rock All paper right, scissors. I, I was getting it. I was getting it. <laughs> okay, okay. That's a thinker. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do my rock joke, dude. I love. So I pretty much think it's the grizzly. Uh, I believe it. Yeah, I think it, in the movie they say that the gri- that the grizzly the grizzly <laughs> is the most powerful uh, land mammal. Wait, did you say in the movie you're talking about rampage? Yeah, in still? the movie rampage. Because in the <laughs> really, movie they talk about the grizzly and the and the and the gorilla. Yeah, because oh, we're gonna have to watch this. I know. Yeah, the it's so it's so corny. We'll do but. like a mystery science theater three thousand where we're like commenting commenting. But it'll be all serious. Like yeah. it won't even be funny. <laughs> well, what be, do you mean we're not? Yeah, funny. what if like two uh, marine biologists yeah. watched <laughs> <laughs> rampage? That'd be pretty good. That's like an ocean scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's really hard to say because I think that the gorilla is more agile. Yeah, I, I actually. So we we've asked this question a few times, and I'm pretty much 100 percent silverback. Huh? Because I mean they're like boxers, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah, but the claws and the teeth you just you rip out the jugular. But they're slower. Like so, if you were to run mm. from a grizzly, you're supposed to run from it in a like zigzag, zigzag way, right? Yeah. Because they it's hard for them to turn. Yeah. Whereas like. When you're running away from a silverback, you're running away from like this superhuman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a grizzly's faster than a than a gorilla. If Maybe running, in a, if it's in running a straight, straight line. Sure. Yeah. I think they run like sixty miles per hour, dude. I don't think that's that. I bet it's Sprint. more like thirty-five or something. Thirty-five. Because cheetahs <laughs> cheetahs run seventy, I think. Okay. Cheetahs top out at seventy. Well, they might. I think so they're just hauling ass all over Montague Island. I think. <laughs> it, I think in reality. I think in reality the 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 gorilla would just dip. He'd just be out. Yeah, he's like, "This is lame Not anyway." And it's a cage fight. Okay, cage fight. I would say that the grizzly would probably win. Me too, man. I yeah, you, know, you I could mean connect the, with he could pound, but he's better get that. He better lock in and connect. The grizzly has the claws. I guess. But the, think about the the silverback skin. That's tough. Mm. Not tough enough. Not tough enough. Dude. We we need somebody who who actually knows We're the biology need, of these like animals. A, a zoologist. Yeah. I guess that the grizzly, the grizzly, because the grizzly has the bite and the claws. Yeah, yeah. The gorilla only has the bite. I don't think they don't the have. The gorilla claws. doesn't even have really a bite, dude. It's like a bunch of molars. Yeah. They just got <laughs> bunch of dull ass molars. <laughs> Vegetarian yeah, ass. Yeah, they're just chewing on fucking leaves, <laughs> banana leaves, dude. All right, man. All right. Fuck. I'm we'll glad we had out. this talk. All right. Later. <laughs> You can support local grassroots journalism at patreon.com slash crude magazine. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to our community for as little as $1 a month. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by Cody Liska and Dustin H. James for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alcoda Beats.